we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckers? God, did I mix that up? What the fucksicans? I was asked to say for my hood. Okay. Yeah, I got plenty of those. You can keep sending them, but I'm not encouraging it. I, I swear to you, I've gotten every one possible, and I'm not going to make uh, I'm not going to make the list longer. Nonetheless, I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Uh, I'm here. This is an exciting show. This is today is a special day. It is George Carlin's birthday today. That is May 12th, and today our guest uh, is Sally Wade, who was George Carlin's last. I, she'll tell you what she wants you to call her. I, I, I've been corrected on uh, on a couple of things. They're, they they weren't married. Uh, girlfriend is a little too. Uh, that's a little. It's weird. It's a, diff, a significant other is weird. Wait, Sally Wade was with George Carlin for the last decade or so of his life. He she was with him when he passed away. She has recently released a a book called The George Carlin Letters: The Permanent Courtship of Sally Wade. And uh, I'm very excited to talk to her because it is a special day. It's a special day for me in the sense that remembering George Carlin is important for everyone. Remembering what whatever part of George Carlin that you loved is important because George Carlin was one of a kind. He was a great, great comic. And I don't know anybody of my generation that was not influenced by George Carlin. And George Carlin, to his credit, worked pretty much until the day he died, generating new material. Uh, some people became critical of him later in his life. Why can't I turn my phone off, especially in touching moments like this? Uh, but to me, George Carlin was always a great comic. And sometimes I don't even I don't even really acknowledge just how much impact he had on me because you don't realize it sometimes. I mean, I've got my comic heroes. He's certainly right up there. But I don't always put him as number one somewhere. You know, he's usually he's usually in the top four. And that changes as you as you get older. You know, who do you think? Who do you talk about? Who influenced you the most? But I'm sitting here in my garage right now with a vinyl version of Class Clown. Now, Class Clown was the record. I'm, I'm holding the record in my hand. Not unlike I did when I was in you know, 14, 13, 14 years old, sitting on the floor with my brother in our, in my room. We had separate rooms then and sitting there and playing this whole goddamn record over and over and over again. Side one, class clown. A, bilabial fricative. B, attracting attention. C, squeamish. Two, wasted time. Sharing a swallow. Three, values. In parentheses, how much is that dog crap in the window? Side two, this is all on a chalkboard sitting behind the silly little George Carlin. I'm holding the record. One, I used to be an Irish Catholic. Two, the confessional. Three, special dispensation. Heaven, hell, purgatory, and limbo. Four, heavy mysteries. Five, Muhammad Ali, America the Beautiful. And six, of course, the seven words you can never say on television. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Doing that from memory because I sat there and remembered it. I would play it over and over again until I got it right. It was important stuff. George Carlin was important and great. 
and today's his birthday. And then you open up the record and there's all these pictures of Carlin when he was a, a little kid, his neighborhood, his church. It's all right here. Oh my God. And then there's a, this album would not have been possible without the loving help. And he re- reels off all of these sisters and fathers and Corpus Christi School, New York City. Wow. I mean, just holding the record, man. It's got the original sleeve. Wow. And now I'm sitting here with Sally's book, which is also filled with letters and pictures of George Carlin from her time with him. Now, the one thing I will tell you about Carlin and my only personal experience with him, I'm sorry I did not have the opportunity to get him on this show. And it seems like it's uh, um, that generation or a little before comic appreciation this week with Jonathan Winters. I'm so glad that y'all enjoyed uh, the Jonathan Winters episode so much because it was really a thrill for me to go up there. And uh, it really was. And with Carlin, man, I mean, I went to see him when I was probably 14 years old. I had a broken foot, a broken ankle. I remember being on crutches. I think I went with my dad. And I remember it was at the Kiva Auditorium in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was beside myself to to watch George Carlin do live comedy at that at that time. I mean, that's nineteen what seventy seven something like that. And I wanted nothing more than to meet the guy, and I waited to meet him, and uh, and he came out, and he signed an autograph for me. He couldn't autograph my cast because it was one of those stupid fiberglass casts. Can't sign those. So he just uh, he gave me his autograph and I and he was so pleasant and uh, and thankful and nice. I always remembered that. But this guy was I I mean, I listened to this record. I got to be honest with you. I listened to it on vinyl just to remember it, to have that feeling of dropping that needle into the groove. You knew where the pops were. You knew where the cracks were, but you knew that the comedy was coming. And you know, in that one groove with the seven words you can't say on television, bang, over and over and over again. Bringing friends over. Listen to this. So this has been a very nostalgic uh, week in terms of, but this is directly my, my, my childhood. You know, Jonathan Winters was a little before me, but uh, Carlin was definitely my childhood. And, and he's, he's missed, believe me, by his fans and certainly by Sally, who we're going to talk to in a minute. But I do think that this book that she put together, the reason it's so profound and interesting is that we all have an idea of who our heroes are and what they are really like. Like, as you know, I've been reading very slowly this Keith Richards um, autobiography, and it's just elevating the myth of Keith. I mean, I have more respect for him now. I mean, he's not the greatest person in the world, but I, it, he's definitely much more than I ever anticipated. And, and with, this, uh, with this book, The George Carlin Letters, which is really a collage depicting a relationship of a lot of different things, pieces of script, pieces of story, pictures, notes passed back and forth between Sally and George. But it certainly shows a side of George Carlin that I had no idea about and that I don't know even if I'd gotten him on this show that I would have seen this side, the romantic, the person in love, uh, the person that uh, writes silly, cute uh, letters to his... um, his uh, his gal, uh, and just all the insight around that, and, and around seeing this whole different side of a, a person that you've known your whole your whole life in a certain way, is is certainly very um, 
fascinating and moving uh, to the point where I, you know, I felt a little, uh, a little uncomfortable that I was knowing this stuff about, uh, about George, but it was certainly rounded him off in my mind as a, as a person. So I think today, you know, on his birthday, it's very appropriate and very fitting for us to talk to Sally about the book, about George and about her feelings. And, uh, I, I, uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm looking forward to it. I don't generally have. I I, I interview in a weird way. Oh. I mean, I just I just generally talk and see yeah, what happens. Yeah. Okay. But well, you, you know what? The first date, the real date that I had with George. Yeah. I had notes in my pockets. Yeah. In case I ran out of things to say. You did. <laughs> so I every once in a while I'd go in the ladies' room and look at the next thing, you know, no, the next joke really? or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and come back out and, you know, say it as if it was spontaneous. You were prepared. But it must have worked because the lunch lasted three or four hours. So now so you were when you came out here to Los Angeles, what where'd you come from and what was the dream there? How old were you? It's a dream. Uh, I was probably 21. Yeah. Um, I just got in a, a my grandfather's 59 Ford. Yeah. You know, I didn't have any money. I had a plant in the car with me. Yeah. I drove out. I didn't have any snow tires. It yeah. was the middle of the winter time. Right. And I drove out on the shoulder the whole way because of all the ice and snow. Yeah. And... Uh, when I got to L.A., I didn't have any dream. I thought I'd go to San Diego and... Hang do, out? Yeah, do something. <laughs> but I couldn't find a job there, so I came back to L.A. And about three weeks later, I had my first writing, TV writing assignment. How, but how so did that So it didn't happen? take me long. How did that happen? I mean, had you written? I mean, did you have a plan? No, I had no plan. Well, how did you get a I, job? Well, I liked stationary stories. <laughs> <laughs> which, so, you know, which means the, what the you like to buy color paper and pens <laughs> yeah. and, and the office furniture yeah. I thought was cool uh-huh. and so I thought you know how would I have a job where I didn't have to dress up every day right I mean I'm sure a lot of people it crosses their mind as well so um, I took a television writing class so that I, I learned what a script looked like right and um, wrote a script and for what? I got an agent. Actually, the first script that I wrote was for Barney Miller. Really? But they didn't buy it. Yeah. But um, a lot of other people hired me from that script. That's great. So, that was a great show. They don't make shows like that anymore. No, but it killed the people working on it. What do you mean? Because they would work all night long, and they all died early. I mean, the, um, the guy that produced it, I can't think of his Hal name. Hal Linden, he's still alive, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, the producers of it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, and he would give people cars to stay on later. Why did you know, it take he, so long? He didn't want them to go home. Right. Uh, Why did ha- it end up being so grueling? Uh... Some people are just totally obsessed with their TV show yeah. and having the TV show stay on the air. Yeah. And it had a uh, basic male mentality there that, yeah. you know, you had to stay in work or you weren't, you know, a real Yeah, I guess guy. A, a lot of those shows, a lot of these writers I talk to are pretty uh, strung out. It, it does get a little grueling depending on who the uh, the taskmaster is. Well, I can get, you know, I can be grueling. I can be tough on myself. Yeah. But when you work for someone else, it's kind of... Yeah. What was your show? What did you write on? 
I wrote on different shows. I wrote for different shows. I wrote, uh, I wrote a lot of Norman Lear stuff. I wrote. Um, you worked with Norman Lear. Yeah, I I did a lot of their shows. I did uh, 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 Sanford and Son. I did What's Happening. I did about ten of those. So I don't remember. I don't know if you remember that little girl D that they had on the show. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. the smart ass voice. Oh really? For her, believe it or not. They brought you in to write D. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, they they had me write ten or twelve shows, right. so that I would get that voice. Wow. So that was sort of my early training, and uh, then I wrote a, a screenplay, and um, I got a lot of other work. It was sort of a romantic relationship, bittersweet story. How so old were started, you when this was going on with the TV writing in your mid twenties? Uh, mid twenties, yeah, to late, and then I. I um, I got married, tried to move back to the Midwest. Where? Kansas? <laughs> Missouri. It's, uh. You know, I don't even like to correct people on that. It's the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it, there is Kansas City, so yeah. I don't know why they don't just call both states Kansas. But uh, I moved back there. It didn't quite work out. And yeah. I kept coming back out here. And then I did a, I did a show... <sighs> Uh, for the Beach Boys, I had a um, a two part show on the on one one show for the Doobie Brothers. I was on staff at another show. Were I had the, a TV movie. I had development deals. Wow, had a lot of stuff. Well, so were the, were those the days where they were doing variety shows with those bands? Because I kind of vaguely remember a Beach no, Boys Christmas. No, it was show. on a, a sitcom. Oh, really? Yeah, those the, are the sitcom days. They made they made a sitcom for the Beach Boys. It was on the. Uh, the, it was on the What's Happening. They did no. The Beach Boys was on um, uh, You Again. Uh-huh. That was the name of the show. Oh, so they, oh, that was just an episode. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah. a Beach Boys sitcom. No, I, but it was to promote their new music. Uh huh. So they, it, you have to write parts for them. Yeah, yeah, I can't. And imagine. I remember with the Doobie Brothers, I, I they flew me to Chicago. Yeah. To travel around with the Doobie Brothers, right? To try to get used to their personalities. Uh huh. And um, <laughs> we were driving around all night. I think they were doing drugs, but not in front of me. Right. And we went to see, I think it was Al Green. Oh, that must have been good. Well, it took him several hours to come out. Oh. And I think he was pretty wasted by the yeah. time he did. Was this after the fall of Al Green? Like, was it, I wonder when that happened. So you, that's was the 70s. In, so yeah, was it, it was at, late 70s. I think. So it was, was it before, it must have been before Maybe he became 70s. a preacher? And I think the next day he became a preacher after that show. <laughs> really? I mean, yeah, there was no way to repent well, was, except to, you uh, know. To do that? Yeah. It was that bad a show? Yeah. But the Doobie Brothers, so uh, did you figure out how to write for them? No. <laughs> I can't imagine no. traveling with a rock band who yeah. maybe, maybe they're comedic. Right, yeah, so, no. So when you left L.A. then to go back to Missouri, was were you like, fuck this town? It was wearing you down kind of deal? Were you running away? Uh, well, I was on staff at the Elliot Gould show. I don't even that, remember that, that. When was that? That was ER. Uh, um, that was about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. I think. He had a sitcom, Elliot Gould. Did? Yeah. Uh huh. And um, uh, so I was, I, I really, I don't do well working for people. Yeah. You know, I'm a little bit like George uh-huh. in that respect. Uh-huh. Just anything that has to do with working for other mm-hmm. people. Yeah. It's, 
you know, we we end up not getting along or or whatever. It's just have a hard clash time of personalities. with authority. Yeah, hard time. Yeah, real hard time. Mm-hmm. So, so you leave for Kansas. You get married. Yeah, and then you come back. Well, I I was coming back and forth during the marriage. Mm-hmm. So I was I began to live here, and and my ex husband lives there. He still lives there. What's he do? He has a computer company. Oh. And you guys talk still? Oh, yeah. We're friends. Oh, that's good. He's, he's with another woman who has a couple of boys. Uh-huh. So that's good for him. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. He's a nice guy. And when did you meet George Carlin? Uh, Let's see. 13 years ago. 13? Yeah. Uh, a little longer than that now because the anniversary, anniversary of his death is coming up in another month. So... Mm. It's been almost three years. I can't believe it. Um, was that like so, was that was pretty sudden? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, meeting him was sudden, but no, the relationship happening itself wasn't sudden. Well, the death was sudden. Oh, the death. Yeah. It was sudden, but looking back, you know, I could have seen more of the signs. Yeah. It's just that there were always small signs along the way because of his heart disease. Uh huh. So he seemed invincible right. in some respects. And about a week before then, he'd had one of his best shows in Vegas. Oh, yeah? And he took his cell phone. He always said, don't call me when I'm on stage. Right. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, because he could call me. In fact, one time he called and had the audience sing happy birthday to me. Oh. That was really sweet. So I called him back. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't take the phone. Uh-huh. You know, he wouldn't answer the call. Uh-huh. So... Um, the very in his very last performance, there was some playoff game, so uh-huh. either basketball or I don't know. I never kept track of the of the sports. Yeah. He was watching everything all the time. But anyway, uh, I was texting him the scores on his cell phone so that he would go over and look at it every on now stage. And yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> I was making it very entertaining. I'd tell him when the cheerleaders went to the bathroom. And oh, um, and he wasn't letting the audience in on that. No. <laughs> and it was just right there on the, on the, on the table with his with notes. His, <laughs> so yeah. um, well, I feel good that, you know, he did take his cell phone out that uh-huh. last day. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So, so you met him, like, uh, in the middle of all this craziness? Because, you know, I got the book. I'm talking to Sally Wade. The book is The George Carlin Letters, The Permanent Courtship of Sally Wade, who, and you were married to George for how long? Well, we weren't legally married. Well, right. We were married on Jupiter. Yeah. Uh, We called it marriage. Uh I mean, he called me his wife. Sure. So I don't know what to call myself, but he actually called me his spouse without papers. Uh Uh-huh. Because he didn't like significant other uh-huh he hated that yeah it's a, it's a little it's a bizarre you know, and he you must know, have you done call a bit girlfriend of, yeah you know, at what we, age do you stop saying yeah, girlfriend? Right. yeah so um on jupiter now this is a theme in the book this jupiter business what do you mean he got married on jupiter well from the first day we met we decided that that was our home planet okay and from there a whole series of creative endeavors occurred mm-hmm. we kept a journal we would write every night stories we'd pass a pad of paper back and forth and he was jupiter geo and i was jupiter sal mm-hmm. and we'd come up with these fanciful tales of what was going on around us so and i put a couple of those in the book but honestly i haven't been able to read them all because Dude. they're very yeah. personal mm-hmm. they're more personal to me than my personal life mm-hmm. and it's very emotional for me to read them yeah I'm sure. So, 
And this book is very, uh, it's very interesting the way it's put together. It's almost like a collage of a relationship with a narrative and certain time markers, you know, mm-hmm. from the beginning. Uh, and there's all sorts of pictures. There's cutouts. There's uh, your notes. There's his notes. Yeah. There's uh, different styles of writing uh, involved in it. So it's it's actually kind of a multimedia experience, <laughs> yes. the, the book true. itself. That's and uh, and from the beginning, it, it, it sort of, uh, it seems like some of the narrative revolves around this relationship you have with this dog. Now, this is that's a spot, yeah, and that's a real dog, yeah. And spot you still have spot, real, no spot passed away. Well, spot is still around, we always considered him to still be around, okay. We never considered him gone. Now, what role did spot play in the spot, beginning of your relationship? Well, spot introduced us uh-huh. in the bookstore, yeah, so oh, he yeah. claims credit for the entire relationship. And, um, by the way, he thinks this book is about him, oh, of course, yeah. yeah, but then he's only read his chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what was that first meeting? The first meeting was in a bookstore, uh-huh. in Dutton's bookstore in Santa Monica, which is kind of a famous landmark. Mm-hmm. It went out of business, unfortunately, about a year or so ago. And I heard his voice. And you knew him, of course. Yeah. I mean, you knew of well, Yeah, him. sure. You were a fan. No, I wasn't really. <laughs> I didn't dislike him. It's just never, it wasn't on your radar, necessarily. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I I had also done, I had started writing my own material and had done a little stand-up myself. Oh, hmm So um, I was familiar with the whole process. Right. And anyway, I heard his voice, and he, he was coming around the corner, and I, I thought, well, you know, you see a lot of celebrities in sure. L.A. It's yeah. no big deal. Yeah. And <clears throat> I said to myself, well... <clears throat> Spot was never on a leash. Yeah. I said, if he bends down to pet Spot, I'll say hello. Yeah. That'll be my sign. Yeah. And Spot went up to the counter to get a cookie. Because mm-hmm. the guy that owns the store had dog cookies. Right. It had nothing to do with George, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but George bent down to pet him. So, uh-huh. so that was it. Yeah. Game on. And we started talking about how he was going from... A performer to a writer. He really wanted to write more than he wanted to perform. Just because he was tired or was there an audience issue with him in his mind? No, I think it's just that he enjoyed that process. And he had his that book out, Brain Droppings, which was essentially his first real book. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about how I was going from a writer to a performer. And he he was telling me that he thought that was much harder than the other way around. Sure. Because... I have a lot of stage fright. Right. And my style is, you know, it's nothing like the George Carlin. I'm more like Jack Benny. Mm-hmm. If you like Jack Benny. You'll, You're a you'll reactor, like me. slow burn. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. Slow. I've got stuff in my pockets. Uh-huh. I, I forget what I'm, you know, saying. Yeah. <laughs> on purpose? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, well, not always on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I give it to myself on purpose so that it'll, it'll look real, but on purpose, but it's still part of my personality sure yeah it's a, it keeps you in the present exactly yeah and it keeps them in the present sure. they don't know what i'm doing next. right yeah I, I, neither I do like i that. yeah but because i could suddenly do something else but but besides that i was just going to say that he used to kind of try to coach me and he'd say things like faster faster when you're <laughs> louder, on, uh, louder. <laughs> while you're <laughs> on stage coach me. yeah well not when there was an audience right. and um I don't think that helps anyone be funny. I, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. Two comics in a house together. I tried that once. Uh, oh, no, no. This was great, except for that. 
And we mm. decided, you know, no more of that shit. No more of the, uh, I'm going to help you with your stand-up uh, shit. No. And, and I tried to help him, of course. Yeah. With, uh, I know that sounds absurd to you. I can't No, 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 it doesn't. But I would give him notes, and um, after his shows, I would give him notes. Uh-huh. I'd say, you know, a suicide you... bit. Yeah. 15 minutes into it, you should at least say something that's funny. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's <laughs> just... And actually, he ended up getting fired from MGM because of the suicide bit. It was depressing everyone. Well, I think it's an interesting uh, 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 thing that happened with your relationship is that in, in in what I've read from the book, that at the time that you met him, you know, he was just, you know, barely out of the tunnel of, of uh, or still in the tunnel of grief around his wife passing. Correct? Yes. Well, that- he waited a year. No, like that was very interesting me. in the book that you know yeah. you had met him and yeah. and he was locked into some sort of, you know, uh defined grieving process that he had given himself a certain he amount. He had of- assigned himself a year mm-hmm. that he would wait. Mm-hmm. And I in the meantime, he had invited me to Vegas to see his show before the year was up. Sure, cuz we were met at the bookstore, book store, right? Well, I didn't know he invited everyone to mm-hmm. Vegas to see his show. <laughs> I thought we had a date. Yeah. And so I mean, you saw what I had on today. I had on a jacket, but I had on a brown suit jacket yeah. to see George Carlin. Uh-huh. I put on a brown suit yeah. jacket. Yeah. What? Whatever. Got spiffy. Anyway, uh, what's you, that? you got spiffy. I did. Yeah. Uh, didn't fit in, but I was spiffy. Yeah. And I we, called him before yeah. I went to the show. Uh-huh. I didn't know his, mm-hmm. where he was, mm-hmm. but I called the hotel, mm-hmm. and it, they rang through to his room. And I don't think he knew who I was, but... Um, he probably did, but yeah, uh, he's probably playing it cool. He said, "Yeah, he said say hello after the show." And, yeah, and he said he comped my ticket. And yeah, I thought, you know, I didn't know he comped everyone's ticket. Right, you really thought you were special. I, thought, I said I already bought my ticket. Uh-huh. No, I didn't want him to think that uh-huh. I wanted just wanted a free ticket. Right, right. You weren't you weren't going to come off yeah. as trying too hard either. No. Right. So even though I bought a new car to it, go to Vegas, no, come yeah, on, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was driving an old Jeep. That, that's pretty you know, spiffy. You got a new suit years. and a new car. Yeah, I had a new car. I put new sod in the yard. Mm-hmm. Well, that was before our first date. Right. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I went backstage. Mm-hmm. He said, there's Spots, Mom. Mm-hmm. And oh, he did remember, yeah. he walked me to my car. Thank God. He and I knew car. he didn't walk anyone else to his <laughs> right, car. Right, right. But then he said, I'll call you in, in three or four months, and we'll go have a bagel. Huh. And I thought... Who says that? Yeah. You know, I mean. <laughs> did, did he explain the reason why? No. Yeah. But it was because he wanted to wait that full year. Right. What I was going to talk to you about is it seems that, okay, so once you started, you know, being with him, and, and it seems like in the relationship in the book is that, you know, you were you were really in love. He was very, uh, you know, constantly excited to, to write you notes. There's this, all this creative activity going on between you. Yes. And there's certainly a, a, a much softer and much more vulnerable side to George Carlin uh, than, than most of us has seen. And it's just interesting to me about what you were saying about the suicide bit is in this decade that you were with him, if there was any criticism ever levied against George Carlin mm-hmm. in his later career, it was that he had become completely misanthropic. You know, and, and overly cantankerous. Yes. And that some of the humor was draining out and that what was happening was that there was a, a sort of rage there that, uh, I don't believe that, 
but but that if there's it's just sort of interesting to me I, i've heard that yeah but it's I've heard uh, that. but it's interesting to me at this time you know this is obviously one of the most significant relationships he's ever had he's feeling a lot of love and a lot of tenderness for you and on yeah. stage he's doing this suicide bit that right. even you said has no laughs right now w- what do you think was well, what honestly, was going on around that well honestly in order to be a successful comedian you have to say things that other people won't say. Right. No, I've, yeah, obviously. So sometimes you get a little carried away with that. Uh-huh. In my opinion. But hey, you didn't... I don't, I don't want to levy any criticism towards him, but one day I was walking around the house before he did the suicide thing saying, yeah. who has time for suicide? Yeah. It's way down at the bottom of my to-do list. Uh-huh. I'm so busy. Yeah. Suddenly, <laughs> you know, and we would trade. You know, he said he would that. Get, no, I said that. You said that. that. Okay. I said that. Yeah. So he, he created this whole routine of, around it, uh-huh. which was pretty funny originally, but then he kept adding to it. So it was 15 minutes, then it was 20 minutes instead of just five. Right. Now, when when people talk about Carlin, uh, he was very much known to be a, a fairly you know anal organizer, you know mm-hmm. a cataloger. You know everything was That's was true. was very scripted. Uh, yeah. There wasn't a lot of improv, and, and he seemed to have an incredibly compulsive nature around the creative process. Now, when you live with somebody like that, I mean, w- w- is that true? What was home life with George he, Carlin like? He changed. He changed that a lot. He started to open up on stage, and. He actually started to go places like Leno and Letterman and not have a script, mm-hmm. which was unheard of. Well, they, they're scripted. You mean he started to talk uh, well, from he, his they'd foot. have questions. Oh, oh, I see what you see. But when he, he appeared on them. But everything memorized. Yeah, I know. I, I heard that and about him. I would, you know, I'd, I'd rehearse with him on the way to the show. And uh-huh. I'd say, you know, you've got to drop this because you can't memorize things word for word for these shows. It doesn't, you know, it, it, you're trying too hard with this. Yeah. And at times it comes off as, you know, you're a little bit nervous because you're not spontaneous and just talking. If I was right now thinking about what words I was going to say, right. I, I would be using different words. Well, that was but, sort of his thing, too. I mean, he was a, he was a real wordsmith. But uh, he really wordsmith. loosened up. Uh-huh. And he still came up with the words. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. He still had access yeah. to all those words yeah. plus more. Mm-hmm. So he started to loosen up a lot. He started to loosen up on stage, etc. Although, speaking of him being anal and not, real spontaneous he always said to me whatever you want to do just let me know and i'm up for it yeah and so then i'd tell him what i want to do and he'd say well you didn't tell me that yeah (laughs) (laughs) and he'd go off and think about it for a while until it sort of became an idea he might have had at one point Uh uh-huh and you know that he might be able to still fit it in right and then he, he could you know you could see him sort of you could watch him assimilating yeah. the idea uh-huh. until suddenly he was ready to do it. Uh-huh. So he, he he did have that side of himself, but he wasn't stuck in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, sort, it's sort of like maybe along the same lines in that what I think what people would say about him uh, in, in later in his career was that he, he did get darker. Uh, and I think that thematically... You know, he deals a lot with the same issues uh, throughout his career in terms of what he talks about outside of like weird little nuanced things, uh, the observational stuff, but it's certainly around God and around uh, language and around politics. He was fairly radical, and it seemed like he got more radical as well, he got older. You know older. what? He used to say, I don't have to believe my own rhetoric. This is what he said to me. Uh-huh. I just have to pose the question. Right. Well, that's a comic job. Mm-hmm. And that was the line he was writing. So people 
think, you know, that his word was gospel mm-hmm. in a sense of it being true and the truth. When actually it was really done to make people think and for the humor value. Mm-hmm. And he was a philosopher. Yes. You know, he did pose these questions. Yeah. That, and with the answers, the ridiculous answers that he came up with, made you use a different part of your brain that you hadn't thought of this stuff before. But that didn't mean he'd suggest, you know, uh, the thing where he was talking about jerking off and hanging yourself in the process, he, whatever yeah, yeah, that's yeah, called. Yeah, auto-erotic auto association. Yeah, that didn't mean he'd recommend it. Sure, sure. You know? <laughs> I don't remember But yet bit. a lot of people take things like that for gospel. <laughs> what, what was his bid on? What was the angle? I don't remember oh. the angle. It was, <laughs> I mean, it had something to do with uh, a lot of guys... Yeah, yeah seem to be doing that. that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they were dying of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, now let's let's talk a little bit about this uh, about this uh, this softer side of George Carlin because I mean it, it's certainly uh, you've certainly brought out the best of this guy in terms of uh, there's an emotional thing there that one of the things you're talking about even the influence you had on him around uh, opening up a little more and relaxing a little bit is I'm not sure where that yeah I, I guess that came from with him I mean he comes from. Uh, from radio originally, kind of, you know, and he was always very scripted and, and very meticulous down to his facial expressions. I mean, I listened to Class Clown you know, hundreds of times when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and there's just a, there was just this momentum and language to. He had a lot of. He was a bit of a control freak, material wise, it seems. Yes. And and like you know, when you see this anger towards uh, in the last decade, but also like in your book, you see this amazing, overwhelming, uh, you know, passion and romance and poetry of this guy and this sensitivity. It almost seemed like around when he met you that and your relationship with him sort of really softened him up, probably for the first time in his life. Do you yeah. feel that? And he was happy. Yeah. And, and do you, was he not? I mean, do you, was as a comic, you know, not necessarily. You know, we don't need to talk. Uh, you know, out of school in terms of his past uh, emotional relationships, but as a comic, uh-huh. do you feel like uh, you know he he was just kind of he he would just plow through because he was a workaholic. You know that you know he was always thinking, and this was his job. I mean, he generated about a new hour every year. Did he was he finding any joy in that when you met him, or was it just a job? I think because of. You know, the pain that he'd been through and all of that, it was kind of hard, you know, because he was grieving at the same right. time. So, you know, I, I wouldn't venture to guess. He, he, you know, people on stage come to life, right. regardless of their emotional state off stage. Mm-hmm. So he may not admit to all the joy he felt on stage when he was doing that, even right. when he'd get angry. And, right. Because if people would laugh when he was angry, yeah. that would make him happy. Right. So he didn't do it with the intent of of being angry. He did it with the intention of making people laugh. Right. And sure. that was his method of his coming from his own emotional state at that time. But you're saying that he was like that after he fell in love but it was mostly just um building on the act yeah right that you know there were separate things yeah and that uh you know whatever had been percolating along with him for the last 30 or 40 years was just sort of i I think also as you start to really acknowledge your own mortality and you get older there's no way for things not to get a little dark well you know the the first lunch that we had we talked we had a long conversation about the difference between doing and being. Uh-huh. And 
he had reached a stage in his life where he wanted to explore what it was like to be. Uh-huh. And... You mean he, just sort of like, you know, without, you know, trying to control things, yeah, trying to work things through yeah, his yeah, head. Yeah, you know, Maybe and trying to have a good doing time. his whole life. Right. And he just was ready for um, kind of a, you know, I hate to use the word spiritual, but he was ready for that process to begin with him uh-huh. to make a transition into his heart self. And, and how did that manifest itself? And what, were the, what was the process of that? That's when he became the romantic. Uh-huh. And it doesn't mean he, he was less funny. No, of course not. Because he was hilarious right. as a romantic. Uh-huh. So when people say, oh, this is a different side of George. Yeah. Well, not really. Yeah. You know, he's still funny. Yeah, sure, sure. And he still says goofy, dumb things, for example. Yeah. In the middle of the night, he'd say, I need to blow a big fart and then I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, not many guys will tell you that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, kind of a George well, Carlin I, line. Well, some guys would just do it. Yeah. And then right. go, well, yeah. I'm so, he's that polite. Though. Right. And then, <laughs> and then when he'd get back, he'd say, you know, did you miss me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he <laughs> was know? always pretty Oops, funny. Oops, got a light of match. Uh-huh. You know, so th- there was always humor. Right. And I thought, I can't, I can't keep all that from other people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I have to let people know what this romantic humorous side of him was well you have a lot of the uh do, do what what portions do when you go do readings do you read portions of the book no you don't <laughs> <laughs> well you know some of it is not that tame right you know right but, uh some of the poems you know well what are like some that. of the favorite things that that, uh, that he wrote to you or that you know some of the things the exchanges i i really love the idea that that you would do these writing exercises just for fun well, they weren't exercises. These were reports we were filing back on the planet Jupiter so that they would know that we were saving the planet down here. Oh, okay. So they weren't just, you know, frivolous reports. Right. They were a serious deal. We, we felt like we were fighting people from the planet Saturn. Uh-huh. We called them Saturnians. Uh-huh. So anyone who we didn't like, who, like a waiter that was slow. Yeah. Someone like that. We we immediately t- turned them into well we recognized them as a, an evil Saturnian. And so you identified people that were enemies yeah. of uh, of Jupiter? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And I, that was our mission to mm-hmm. protect our home planet that was sort of like a, a spiritual concept to us. It was mm-hmm. a place that we were going to live someday. It was a fantasy world that you guys had. Um well, I mean, it, Beyond it, fantasy, mm-hmm. yeah. we from the from the very first date, real date that we had after the the bagel date, or after yeah, after that, yeah, it was at a party, and we walked down the street, and uh, we had a a long discussion about the trolls under the bridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So and and our own inner trolls. Uh huh. Because mine is sort of short and squatty with a real crooked eye, uh-huh. and his is huge uh-huh, yeah. in, in in my vision. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like his is like twelve feet tall. Uh-huh. I can see it on stage when it comes out. Uh-huh. I could it? see when he was doing an HBO show. Yeah, that's what I saw. The inner troll. Yeah, like and, one of the later ones when he's wearing all black. Well, that too, but it yeah. wasn't about the look. It was right. about the attitude. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he'd come off stage after a performance, and I could see the energy just kind of come back into being George again. Sure, so, yeah. I mean, you know. Are you a spiritual person? I, I'm i not unspiritual. Right, right. I'm not, you know, wacky with it. Right. 
Well, I just, I, I mean, it's it, there's so many notes in here. Uh, let me between the two of you. Yeah, it's 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 baffling. Yeah, and I like that you kept them. I all. tried to leave mine out. You know, I tried yeah. to put most of his in. But I mean, there there's like there's so many on. Like I'm so familiar with Hotel Stationery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, he saved all this. He did. Yeah, I mean, I have rooms and rooms full of stuff. This wasn't just a box of stuff, a collection that I put in the book. This was culling through massive amounts of stuff and if I needed it to illustrate a point right. I, I would use it it's not that the other stuff is better or worse uh-huh. I would just use things of his because it felt like we were writing it together I bet so but, so he does do that He because I had always heard that he had like like hundreds and hundreds or maybe thousands of index cards with jokes on them is that true? no oh okay myth no one myth shattered yeah <laughs> He was very organized on his computer, right? But he didn't—he didn't have that many joke jokes, right? They were long-form things that he'd write. Yeah. So, like, okay, so you literally have rooms of scraps of paper. And I still little... do, and I'm—I've always done that myself. So my papers would pile up. He always knew. One day I realized the difference between him writing down a note and me writing down a note yeah. is that he could find his note, right? And I had no idea where mine went. Wow. Who who helped you put this together? Uh, well, there was it? an art. I mean, it's really it's really kind of amazing. The, yeah, the uh, I thought that the art person, the art design person, yeah, did a really good job of being creative with with it. But it was, you know, I'm the one that had to figure out what to put in and where. And there's so many t- postcards of him, like you know, saying that he missed you, that he's going to be home soon. Well, you know what? There's a language chapter. There's a lewd chapter. There's a romantic chapter. There's a romantic chapter. There's a uh, like if I were to read one of these out loud, it would uh, it would make me feel um, uh, it, it would make me feel like I was intruding on you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, really? Well, no. I can't tell you how good it feels to be with you on this Valentine's Day. It all seems so preordained and so perfect. Our love is the most wonderful thing I have ever experienced. I treasure you beyond existence itself. Please stay in my arms forever. You already have a permanent spot in my heart, Senior Cupcake. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's like, I, I, like you know, when, when you're a comedian and, uh, you know, you grow up, you know, really you know, knowing George Carlin as this specific uh, force of nature that really helped define just about all of us of my generation. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden you're reading his love letters. It's like, uh, I don't know if I should be reading this. <laughs> It's, it's too touching for me. But most of them... Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it in a bad way. It's very lovely. But like, it's just sort of... Um, it's uh, it's very vulnerable stuff. And it, and it introduces you to this whole side of him that is well, just... Most uh, of them are pretty funny. For example, Hey, shower girl, you're my queen and I worship you. Also, you're a real cool lady. You're farting guy, Geo. <laughs> <laughs> or, hey, cookie, I went out to find money and buy tampons. Uh-huh. Love your guy. I mean, it's they're still written like George. No, Carlin I know, I know, but notes. they're so sweet. It's like it's it's overwhelming. But that was him. I know. It's 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 hard to. Uh, but you don't want to know a guy's I know, sweet. I, of course I do. I'm not saying I don't. But you want know what? To. I've only I'm just heard that you. from men. Uh huh. That the sweetness can, you know, make them feel like that but it's not a bad feeling it's just mm-hmm. sort of uh it, you know i can't remember 
See, I, I maybe it's a, a, that was, a, a yeah, reflection on me. George never hung up the phone without telling the, the person on the other end that he loved them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'd forget he was talking to the plumber. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. And he would say that he loved them. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I just wanted people to know that he was like that. No, it's it's awesome. Yeah, because uh, you know there's a, there's a, a misconception perhaps on my part that you know you think that a guy that is that volcanic in terms of the amount of jokes that he was able to produce and the amount of thoughts he was able to have and most of them coming from an angle of this is fucking ridiculous. People right. are ridiculous. We're ridiculous, and we're doomed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. That that was who. And jo- then he's saying to me, you know. When do you want to eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Or, or writing you sweet letters about yeah. farting. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously this this had to exist with him, but it's just very fascinating to yeah. see it. Except this was him. There was never periods of darkness with him. I mean, like, I mean, look, I'm a comic, yeah, you know, I know what women. I, you're the first spouse of a comic or a significant other, or girlfriend, or whatever you want to call yourself that I've ever interviewed, and I know that I've put every woman in my life through a tremendous amount of shit. <laughs> no, he didn't. Oh, well, that's that's spectacular. You know, maybe maybe he already went through that. You caught him at a good time. And this was a second relationship for both of us, right? I'd been in a long term relationship, yeah. with a guy that I went to college with, mm-hmm. and it's decided I didn't want to do anything that way again. Mm-hmm. And he was in the same boat. So what we did was Jupiter also was like, it also meant like a bubble that represented that. Our relationship was greater than either of us individually, mm-hmm. and we made that more of a priority. And he drove that, you know, he drove that boat, th- that ship. Uh huh. And You're I couldn't are... have done it by myself, right? But... And it's not that we didn't argue. I have a chapter in here called "Trouble in the Bubble," and yeah. we come up with axioms. You know, if we had to start to have an mm-hmm. argument, we'd write down exactly what we wanted the other person to say. Uh huh. And leave it out on the table, and, and we'd both word it together. And it's a whole, it's kind of a goofy, romantic way of never having the same argument again. And also a way of disarming the argument before you actually let it exactly. destroy anything. Yeah, and he, I think he's the only guy who's, I've ever met who said, I'm sorry, I did that wrong, I really fucked up here, I'm not going to do that again. Like what? That apologized. I know, but like what My was on My ex-husband didn't, wasn't big on apologizing or saying that he ever did anything wrong. Well, what were some of uh, George's uh, liabilities in those areas? What would he apologize for most frequently? Just being cranky? No, there wasn't really a, a, a central theme to oh, no. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just... Um, Relationship stuff? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And but, what's, a, what's the drug stuff chapter about? Oh, that's very. That's going to be very disappointing for people. Because uh, that's what I say in the beginning of it. Uh, by the time he met me, he wasn't, you know, you go through phases in life. Yeah. In fact, the first line is, well, this chapter is going to be disappointing uh-huh. <laughs> to, yeah. to any druggie who reads it. I don't think he was ever associated with being a druggie other than a, a pot smoker, really. Yeah. But he, he used to, he used to take, I, I was talking to him one time and, and he said to me, Hang on, I gotta take some Tylenol. And I said, Why do you have to take some Tylenol? And he said, Because I think I'm getting a headache. Uh huh. And I said, Don't you want to find out first? Yeah. And he said, No, because by then it'll be too late. Uh huh. And then, <laughs> and then, I said, But what if you don't get a headache? He said, Well, I'm still in the clear because I've taken Tylenol. Right. And he said, Well, when did 
Noah build the ark uh-huh. before it rained. Uh-huh. So he, he was a big believer in self-medicating before the problem actually happened. With just, well, well Tylenol is nothing too horrible. No, but I mean, that was an example of his of, mindset. Yeah, we'd watch a show on restless leg syndrome, <laughs> you know, a, a commercial about yeah. medicine for it. And I yeah. think, well, who would be stupid enough to take that? Or, or men, are you urinating frequently? Sure. Yeah. And I'd say, boy, that is a dumb commercial. I look over at him and he'd just kind of be, you know, <laughs> am looking, I urinating too frequently? Looking, no, looking a little guilty. So I'd go in the bathroom and look in the medicine cabinet. There was the medicine on frequent urination oh, oh. <laughs> and restless leg syndrome. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. So he liked taking a bunch of stuff. Uh huh. You know, he was a big self medicator, uh-huh. but it wasn't the the you know wasn't drugs. He, no, he wasn't interested in. He stopped smoking marijuana when he was with me in the early early days. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Why? Because he he didn't want to. He wanted to be present, or you didn't like it, or I told him I didn't like the smell of it. Uh huh. And. He didn't drink, really, huh? He well, first when I first met him, he was having a few beers in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So one day I said, "You know, I noticed you're having a beer in the afternoon. Not always, but once in a while, if he'd be in Vegas or whatever." Mm-hmm. So he said, "You don't want me to do that," and I said, "No, let's let's not do that." So we kind of made up a rule where he'd get two glasses of wine. He. He made the rule. I said, you set your own rule yeah. here. Yeah. And he set a rule for what he would do, but he only stuck to it when he was around me. Right. <laughs> so the, the road rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I noticed that and wrote him a note. I talk about that in here. Did he have to, did he uh, Did he drink before he went on or prepare in that way? No. Take an edge off? No. I couldn't imagine it. No. He, he... So on his toes up there. Yeah. I mean, you have to focus so oh, much. Oh, yeah. He was intensely focused. And just it just kept going. I don't know how he did that. I've tried to stand the length of t- his performances used to be an hour and twenty minutes, right? In the first years that I was with him, yeah. Rather than I think an hour and ten, and maybe at times an hour. Only when he was trying to get home to watch the f- season finale of Desperate Housewives with me. <laughs> but um, I tried to stand for an hour and twenty minutes. And I, I just get too tired just standing. Mm-hmm. So he's up there moving around. I guess maybe you lose, you know, you do lose yourself in mm-hmm. it. And um, I loved watching him in the theater in the round where, you know, he, it, it, you could see the front and the back and the sides and all that. And he, you know, put his whole body into it. Was there, was there any, you know, in terms of your time with him that he's really known and uh, respected in... Uh, in the comedy world as somebody who was as pure a comic as you could be that that this was a a guy who generated a new hour of material almost every year uh, for what 30 years years. huh every two years every two years for what from you know 19 because of hbo 19 right 1970 forward or however long that however long it's been but he he was one of the guys that would substitute five minutes here and there in the old act until Uh he got that right he didn't write a whole new act Oh right, right. And go so, out with it. So he'd 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 pick places to try new material. Yeah. Uh, and then he'd build a new act yeah, from that. Yeah. So he'd, and he'd he'd have two years to do that. Right. So he'd 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 have an hour and then he'd you know, after the show uh, ran on HBO, he'd tour that hour and right. during that time he'd drop in the new bits. Right. And and make note of it and build the next hour. Right. And that was a two hour arc. Right. And before that he would only do what would lead up to the next HBO show. Right. 
But a lot of his stuff would evolve radically, like the bit on children, mm-hmm. how he hated children. Mm-hmm. But it became a bit about the parents right. overscheduling them. Right. It was, but it wasn't that originally. He was just hating out there hating children. Right. <laughs> but when you're on stage, things come to you because you have to protect yourself. You know, you have to I agree with make that. even more sense. Well that's well that I think that's where a lot of the comedy comes from is in that defensive moment. Yeah. To disarm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You have to you know, you go home and say, Oh, I I gotta do something with that <laughs> or I can't live with myself. That's right. And and did, but as in terms of his real life, did he hate children? Or because it seems like what you're saying is that no. the bit the bit evolved from you know hating children to realizing children were victims, right? And that they should play with sticks and they're overscheduled, right? <laughs> like the old <laughs> and days. have free time, right? Which George never had, by the way, right? We never had. We, we even our vacations were called work vacations. In in what sense? Because he was always writing. We both were. We just neither of us know how to take a vacation. What'd you do for fun? Write and write together and laugh. There's pictures and take of, out the trash and but like you know, there's well, pictures everything. of you fishing. Didn't you go? Fishing? Yeah, we went that. We did stuff like that. Too. You did. Yeah, and he showed me all around New York, and I couldn't have a better tour guide. Well, his George. like from when he was a kid, like you know, trying to put that together. That must have been interesting. Yeah. How much of that was still around? Where did he grow up in New York? He grew up. It was uh, on the on the west side, uh-huh. up near Harlem. Oh, really? Uh, around 118th uh-huh. or something like uh-huh. that. I don't know the exact street. Name. Uh-huh. And um, that must have been with fun. his mother, uh-huh. his, he had an older brother that was in school or something. Are they and still so alive? It was mostly the Is his two older of, brother still alive? Yeah. 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 So, but mostly it was George and his mother, and she was at work most of the time. She was. Um, an interesting character herself. Mm-hmm. She, she was a workaholic too? I, I don't know that, but she was, um, anytime he didn't understand a word or whatever, or he'd ask her, she'd say, look it up. Uh-huh. You know, so she was, she was the one that gave him his love of language. Uh-huh. And his father had won speaking contests as well. Yeah. So he had a whole language thing going from a young age. And to me, the language carries through the class clown to the angry stuff it, it always. does it, it's always there yeah i mean that's what's so, uh, his thing whether people are looking if you're looking at the emotional content of it, mm-hmm. it it you're looking in the wrong place that's the the thing he's doing to you a- know avoid get his. your attention yeah <laughs> yeah well he was yeah. not like it just always it what i think what really strikes me you know to sort of build on on what what my reaction was in terms of seeing these personal notes was that you, you know his his disposition on stage was very uh defined and yeah. you know and it wasn't uh, you know he wasn't up there taking emotional risks he was up there no. you know using language yeah. to cut at certain hypocrisies yes. to, to reveal certain truths right. and and to to sort of make us all see things differently right he wasn't like you know like you, you look at some there's not a lot of comics that take tremendous emotional risks you know that was i think in in a fundamental way, you know, as he evolved out of whatever he was with uh, Jack Burns and and out of the Sullivan years into uh, somebody who took more of the uh, the Lenny Bruce legacy and ran with the you know you know the provocative stuff and, and pushing the envelope of and language. Those were the days, sure. But but when like, you couldn't when you weren't supposed to talk about this, and he was right. Right. Well, do we have days like that anymore? Well, well I, I think so. I, I think what happened with him. What, if you were, what are the topics? 
Well, I think the topics are what what some of the stuff that he did and some of the stuff you, that you that uh, even if you talk about suicide in a certain way or you talk yeah, or, yeah, you, or you talk about religion, I mean, you're not going to get arrested or or crucified, but you're so, certainly I think he still he still had that desire to challenge people all the way through, yes. even if it was about something mundane that he could yes. exploit to show yeah. a, a larger hypocrisy. I think that's what he was still gunning at. Yes, and it seemed to me that later in his career that he might have been you, you know there were people like. Bill Hicks, who would, you know, alienate audiences, alienate audiences consistently. And I, I don't know, I know that George watched other comics uh, in the sense that he had appreciation for them because I, I know he had a response to, uh, he had said something about Mitch Hedberg once that they, they yeah, seemed, he uh, liked some, Mitch. it seemed that as he got more aggressive, that he really began to give lesser of a shit about how he was, you know, how his content was judged. And the natural evolution was him to, to keep pushing. And I think that came off as a, a little angry. Uh, That's and, true. Yeah. But it wasn't because he didn't give a shit. Right. In fact, he ha- he had he had bad audiences like Bill Hicks. I mean, sure. he, everyone now thinks, oh, he was always on and he was always always had a good show. Uh-huh. And that's not true. Uh-huh. It was all it's always a struggle out there. Uh-huh. Especially, I, mean, I can't imagine have in Vegas. A bad show. Sure, and I imagine that people that like I, I think they've that, lost their money in Vegas. They've lost their house. They've been drunk since you know they got there. Mm-hmm. They've been up all night, and you know they're paying for the floors in the Bellagio, mm-hmm. and they're sitting there listening to these jokes and thinking, "I'm fucked." Yeah, they're not even thinking about the jokes. Yeah, yeah and they're... who's this guy? You know mm-hmm. what happened to the seven? Dirty words and that's the right. stuff routine, right? And, right. And and you right. Know? Well, I think. Well, I think that's uh, that answers the question about how you can be, you know, provocative. Is that if you have an audience that you've built over thirty years and you start to push the envelope with them, that's a tremendous risk. And I think it gets harder when you get older. Sure. So I think also maybe he used some of his emotions about that mm-hmm. on stage, mm-hmm. because, you know, when he's a younger guy, it's it's you don't have to push as much as you you know he, yeah. he, i think he felt he had to push harder now when when you but, said so that people wouldn't say he wasn't generated. still relevant right that's right I, I that's that makes sense to me now now when you uh when you guys were alone in terms of him reflecting on on his career you know because as i was saying before that he is uh, the purest comic that we've really known in that he kept working and remained relevant until the end yeah was there any you know a bitterness about um, not having opportunities, or or no. not being a, a a television presence, or a or not being uh, in movies more. The standard sort of show business, you know, whining that goes on be, be around people. I, I think there was a disappointment about movies at one point, mm-hmm. and he he did a movie and realized once again can't work for other people. You know, there's too much shit going on here, and I got to wait for them to do stuff. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> might as well just go out on stage and and speak directly. Right, right, right. Uh, that was his thing. He was a one man show. Uh huh. Uh huh. And although together at home, you know, it was my job to make him laugh. Yeah. And, and see, I can't bridge that with people. People are never going to get this the, uh, in the, the sense book. that yeah. In the sense of who he really was, I think they will. You do, yeah, because like because that bothers me. Wait, I want wait. them to really know George mm-hmm. as a whole person. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I because think... this mattered more to him. 
in his career. Yeah. The stuff that's revealed here. Yeah. Yeah. Even the day-to-day stuff. Yeah. You know, of sure. offering me Kleenexes and making sure I don't, you know, use more than one or two because he's being frugal, even <laughs> though he has a whole house full. <laughs> you know, that's the stuff that he cared deeply about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he would listen to music. Yeah. And cry. Yeah. And... Most people don't know that. Yeah, like like what songs or what stuff moved him? Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not Led Zeppelin. But you know, I mean, he had some music that he would listen to, and and it would, you know, it would spark some. We would see the Cirque du Soleil sometimes, uh-huh. and he would cry. It's very it's very moving to see yeah. people doing something spectacular. Yeah. Well, that's so, sweet. And and I think. Also, that bit where the twins are doing something yeah. in the air. I mean, I always wanted that kind of intimacy with myself. Uh-huh. And um, I think George and I even had that. Sure. Well, it feels like in these, in these, uh, in these letters and the, and the way that and you I capture s- the relationship. And I certainly didn't paint a perfect picture of either of us. No, but I think like, you know, the effect that it to had on he's me. like my mother, right, who's right. never tasted alcohol in her life and is the daughter of a Baptist minister. Uh-huh. I have a chapter on that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's just you know goofy. Yeah, it's no, goofy. Yeah, yeah I want yeah. it to be a goofy book. Well, I think it's I I, I found it uh, I found it uh, fascinating and moving. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, my discomfort was not like I can't read this. It was like it was sweet. Uh-huh. You know, because like even yeah, I'm an angry bastard, and you uh-huh. know, and the women that I've been in love with, you know, have disarmed me just because of something that you can't identify. And and the idea that you were able to make him laugh is completely reasonable because he adored you. Yeah. So you know that kind of uh, indescribable uh, engagement that you have with somebody that you love mm-hmm. uh, is 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 a very real and important thing. And and I think that you really do feel that in the book that you know this guy was you know was thinking about you all the time and and that you sort of uh you know kind of opened him up i mean yeah. i i definitely see that yeah yeah and and w- now if if we can for for a second uh around the time that you said that you felt y- you knew that he was uh ill or that 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 things were closing in on him uh-huh. what what was that time like towards the end yeah cuz he had had a few close calls in the years that we were together mm-hmm. um and this was the kind of guy that he was. He, he he went into the hospital when we were in Chicago once, and I got worried about him performing in places where they didn't have a hospital. Because, Nearby. Yeah, yeah, because he his heart was racing. And I actually think he was nervous because he didn't usually get nervous performing, but yeah. he had to perform in front of people with the lights on and they were eating. Oh, yeah. He hated that. Yeah, but he had to do it. Yeah. So anyway, he got nervous, went in the hospital, and to calm me down, he came up with this character called the Golly Girl. Mm-hmm. We were always coming up with characters, but he came up with one where he was talking like a girl mm-hmm. from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, now, golly, yeah, everything's going to be okay. And golly, you know, we're, we're going to this hospital now and we'll be there. Oh, and golly, you know, in this fun town. And, you know, he was just, he was, you know, he was the epitome of sweet. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm sorry, uh-huh. but he was sweet. Uh-huh. You couldn't meet him in person and spend any time with him. Uh-huh. In fact, I had a comedy coach that I, I'd met in Toastmasters that I had practiced my comedy with every day for about 15 years and he actually died a few weeks before George did Mm -hmm. and we spread his ashes in Malibu Jack Guru Jack I called him Mm -hmm. but um, 
Jack and George and I had Thanksgiving dinner once at a uh, uh, place in Santa Monica, the deli there. It's the only place that's open. Uh, so anyway, we drove Jack home, and I was talking about how I wanted a dessert there. And drove Jack home. He dro- George dropped me off. He said, I'll, b- I'll be back in a minute. He went over there and got the dessert and came back. <laughs> you know, he was just, you know, before he'd get out of the bed in the morning, mm. he'd have a Starbucks iced tea, mm. uh, a bagel, the New York Post, mm. whether we were in New York or not, mm-hmm. and um, Western Horseman for Spot, mm-hmm. you know, some outdoor magazine, <laughs> so or some trashy tabloid, yeah. you know, that he figured he could use. <laughs> The dog. Yeah. So Spot's <laughs> writing a book, by the way, and, okay. and George was editing it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, he not because he liked. I had to kind of draw the line with George because he wanted to be involved in everything I did. Yeah. He wanted to be involved. And he wanted to kind of take charge of it, and and he wanted to help, and mm-hmm. you know all of those things. Mm-hmm. Where at times I'd just kind of say, okay, let's, you know, you go do that work you do the little thing you do at the computer okay uh-huh. yeah, yeah. i got some important shit to write yeah. over here about spot <laughs> so <laughs> but you know the, i have tons of tapes of us working together uh-huh. i can't listen to those either yeah. i've got boxes and boxes of them well i mean eventually you'll be able to now when he did uh, uh pass away he, he just uh what was the last uh thing that uh, engagement that you had he was well in the week before he died, he was having trouble walking and breathing. Oh. And so he was going to have exploratory surgery on a Monday. Mm-hmm. And he went into the hospital Sunday just to be ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And I drove him over there. I asked him if he wanted me to call, you know, all the the people in his life that would want to know, you know, that his he's going into daughter Kelly mm-hmm. and... and his manager and people like that. And he said, no, I'll do it. And then he said something like, you know, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want something to happen at the house for you to call an ambulance there. And I thought, well, that's an odd thing to say. And he spent his time packing his suitcase to go to the hospital. And he was very careful and he'd show me exactly what he put in his, in his bag mm-hmm. and what he was going to use when he got there. So when we got there, um, he got out of the car, and he was, we were joking and laughing, and he was skipping inside. I said, slow down, George. You, know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it, you don't have to skip, so we immediately slowed down. Mm-hmm. We went to the emergency room. We were joking about his shoes, and we were throwing them around the room, and just jokes. Mm-hmm. And he said, go home. I hadn't had any sleep because I'd been worried about him yeah. that night. So I went home to sleep, and as soon as I got home, the hospital called me and said, get back. So I tried calling the doctor. It was a Sunday, so mm-hmm. nobody's in. Mm-hmm. I tried calling the hospital back. Nobody would tell me what was wrong. Mm-hmm. So I ran every red light to get over to St. John's. And um, they had given him fluids, and it flooded his lungs. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I feel bad because I was telling him to hang on. Yeah. And you don't, why, why do you feel bad about that? Because. He was ready? Yeah, and and I didn't want him to think he was failing. Right. Because it's considered such a failure in this society. To pass away? Yeah. Hmm. That he couldn't live. Right. And um, 
He just kept saying he was sorry. No. Oh. Hmm. And after he was gone, they put him in a room to try to yeah. revive him, and yeah. it didn't work. And I just went in and laid down with him for a while. Hmm. Well, you know, it, it, it seems. Did you feel that maybe when he was packing that bag that he knew? Yeah. Because some people know that. Yeah, he knew. You think so? Yeah. And he left. When I got back, he had the note, which is the title of the book, The yeah. Permanent Courtship of Sally. He had that propped by my computer. and Really? Yeah. That's the note he had? Yeah. And I, I didn't want to put the George Carlin letters on the title. Yeah. Because I didn't want it to sell for that reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. But well, of course they talked me into it because nobody knows who Sally Wade is. <laughs> right. So, um, and he had all the music that he'd ever recorded for me uh-huh. up on his computer and just the words scrolling in huge letters, I love you, I love you. And this was before he we went to the hospital. But I didn't see it until I got home. Oh, God. That's really powerful. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I'm sorry for your loss and, and certainly... Yeah, everybody in the in the in everyone who ever knew George Carlin is sorry for your loss. But yeah, you know, this is a real gift, this book, and uh, and it really uh, I think it's going to give people a, a, a it's going to do what you wanted to do, which is show him as a well. As you a know, whole we used to whenever we talked, we'd turn to the side to make sure an invisible camera caught what we said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he would find tunnels. Uh huh. So he could shout about how much he loved me. Yeah. So I knew that he wanted me to tell people. Mm-hmm. No, I, have you been getting any uh, criticism otherwise? I have gotten a few on Facebook. You know how Facebook is. It's oh, a cross-section yeah. yeah, of know. a bunch of nutcases. That yeah. I mean, a lot of people are really sweet. I don't yeah. want to put Facebook down. Yeah. And they've been very supportive. Yeah. I mean, 29,000 people on the site are mm-hmm. very supportive. But yeah. a few people say... You know, what? how could you, how could you write something like this? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is about love. Yeah. It's not a trashy tabloid. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, nobody asked the people who write trashy tabloids why they did it. They just, right. you know, reading it to find out what happened next. Yeah. And it's, I think, a message that he wanted to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> it certainly has given me something to do for the past few years. <laughs> to deal with the grief. Yeah. And also it's like, respect, yeah. honor his uh, I saw a therapist yesterday. Oh, she yeah. said, well, what stage of grief you're in? And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, writing? <laughs> Is that a stage? Is that, you know, did they leave that one out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it seems like you're uh, well into uh, acceptance. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, I'm doing the best I can. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Sally. You're welcome. I, I wish I had Kleenex. I'm going to go get you Kleenex <laughs> right now. Okay. Okay. Somebody please, please remind me to get some Kleenex. You know, I I got the air purifier. I got you know, just a box of Kleenex. Would that be so difficult? What a lovely conversation. And she's a lovely woman. And the book is really sweet. So if you want it, you can go get the George Carlin letters, The Permanent Courtship of Sally Wade by Sally Wade. 
with appearance of George Carlin in spirit and in words, and in just a, a beautiful collage of a book. Uh, very, I'm a little, little moved, a lot moved. Please go to the new WTFPod.com, new site between us. I think we're still in a soft launch mode, but it's a new site. Get on the mailing list, donate a few shekels, kick a few shekels in, get some merch. We uh, can listen right on the site now, and there's also comment boards. I know how much you like comment boards. I'm going to be doing some video stuff there. I'm very excited. Great looking site, the new WTFPod.com. Also, please, if you can and if you want, if you want to buy some of those older episodes, the Dane Cook, the Carlos Mencia, the Louis C.K., the Judd Apatow, the David Tell, some of the Live at Comics episodes, you can go to WTFPodshop.com or you can do a search for WTF Premium on iTunes. JustCoffee.coop is our sponsor always and forever. Pow! I just shit my pants. I did. That's good coffee. San Antonio, LOLs. Laugh out loud tomorrow, Friday, May 13th, the 14th and 15th. I will be there. And also, I'd like to take this moment to congratulate my friend, Brendan McDonald and his wife, Dawn, on the birth of their son, Owen Thomas McDonald, clocking in at five pounds and 12 ounces. God bless. Mazel tov. I'll talk to y'all later. Mark Marin, out. That was ridiculous. <laughs>